Well, I want to say I didn't know I would be back this soon. Usually when I preach, they don't have me back, so I don't know what that means. Um, it's been an amazing summer. I've been gone a lot. And while I was at General Assembly, I got invited to fill in for a, uh, a professor uh, at the Equal, uh, excuse me, Equipping Leaders International Ministry, which is a ministry that trains pastors in, in all over the world in different countries. In particular, this professor was um, going to Ghana, and I was asked to be an adjunct professor to replace him. So I spent a lot of time, spent a lot of money getting expediting passports and visas, and I've got typhoid shots and hepatitis shots and yellow fever shots and, and got my plane ticket all ready and, and finally got everything to go. And then last Thursday we got the word that because of COVID increase over there, I wouldn't get to go. I was going to be preach, teaching uh, gospel preaching. I was so excited about it. So it's been postponed because of COVID in rise in, in uh, Ghana, but we're hoping to go or perhaps Zoom, Zoom later, but be praying about that. I appreciate that. Um, uh, so this morning, my task is to refresh us and remind us of our priority in worship, why worship is important, and even for some of us to define what worship is. We've been doing it for a while. We go to church and we hear the term but we want to just discover some things from God's word this morning. So I'll, I'll, I'll promise I'll do my best to be brief. <laughs> so if you don't mind turning with me to Haggai 1, there's no chapters in Haggai except Haggai 1. Then there's Haggai 2. So we're in Haggai 1. Haggai 1. Chapter well, there are no chapters. I just said that. <laughs> Verse 1. Actually, we're going to go through the passage. I just want to set us up. So let's go down to the end where it's, it's going to climax at. Let's go to Verse 12. Haggai 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the word of the Lord. Haggai 1. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, son of Shittel, Joshua, son of Zodadek, and the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God has sent And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of God, the Lord Almighty, excuse me, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Darius.
So the priority of worship. Um, everybody, usually, I don't know, most guys have keys in their pocket. Uh, you know, when we were kids, they used to put the key around our neck because parents didn't get home till five and we'd get out of school. So we had to have keys to get in the door. And so keys are made to unlock doors. <laughs> and so it's pretty cool. And they work out really good, except for I moved into my new house uh, oh, about a year and a half ago. Well, not quite a year ago. And then uh, I was getting used to it because the mailbox is right by the door. So when I come to the door, I have to unlock the top lock, unlock the bottom lock. And then I go, oh, the mail. So I grab the mail. So, But sometimes I unlock the bottom lock, and then I unlock the top lock. And so when I unlock the top lock, I grab the mail and said, oh, what's this? And I come in. I close the door behind me. What did I do? I left the keys hanging in the door, right? And come in and did everything I needed to do and went to bed and woke up the next morning looking for my keys. And Lord have mercy, I found them in the door, you know, just hanging in the door. I like one of the kids to tell me, why is that not a good thing to do? Leave the keys in the door all night. Just speak up. Don't don't feel. Yeah, go ahead. Is that Jimmy? So nobody can break in my house. Why is that? Because it, it makes it real easy for them to get in, right? That just anybody can come, whether they're good or bad, they can just walk in, right? And that's that's not a good thing. Uh, so pray for Pastor James and, and stuff like that. <laughs> He's not perfect. But I want to use that to remind us that that. God has a lock with a, with a key in it that opens the door to his presence in our life and intimacy in our life. And that key is worship. Worship is the key that unlocks intimacy with God. And he leaves the key in the door, and anybody can come and turn it. And we can walk in anytime we want. And he's not afraid because... He's there to greet us and meet us and embrace us. And so in Haggai, the people here, they had neglected something. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. They had neglected to prioritize worship. And they had their reasons, and we'll talk about it. And they were the people of God, and they should have been building the temple and they were making excuses, and, and the scripture says, Haggai says, these people say the time has not yet come for the building of the house of the Lord. And it really was a reflection of they had little concern about the priority of their relationship with God and what they were created to do, what you and I are created to do, first and foremost, is to worship God. Every day, every moment of every day, we were created by God to be his worshipers. So before we get into the passage, I want us to answer a couple of questions. Uh, I want us to address a couple of things. One, what is worship? You know, you talk about worship, 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 you know, and it's, it's sort of a kind of you can't really define it, really. It's kind of a mysterious thing. I mean, if you think about it, you know, when I have to explain I, I worship, what does that mean? You know, it's, it's, it's really challenging. So 
I want to look at um, some definitions that I, I saw. And this guy wrote uh, one of the best definitions I've seen of it. Uh, his name is Mark. Uh, um, I think I'm saying it right. T-I-T-T-L-E-Y. Uh, Tiltley. It's called a manual for worship leaders. In some ways, worship defies the definition, he says. It can only be experienced, but like every experience in life, we need to give it a definition to help us understand the experience and enter into more into it more fully. So the English word, the English word worship comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word, we are worth, and it's, it's like Skype, or S-C-I-P-E, Skype. So it really is worth ship. So the N word is ship. Ship is like a state of being. Like you're, 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 you, win, you won the championship means you're in the state of being the champion for now. Or you're, you have the governorship. You're in the state of being the governor for now. And then worth is, is saying something is worthy or, or worthwhile. And so worship is basically you're in the position of, in the state of being of, saying to God or declaring to God in your, in your mind's eye, in your heart, in your attitudes, in your actions, in your behavior, in your service of him, you are worthy of everything I am and all that I give you. And I'm in that state of being all the time. I worship you. Because you are worth my commitments and worship and adoration. Because you are infinite, almighty, eternal God. And so I like that definition. It, re- it is a recognition of and a response to the worth of God. When we value the worth of someone, we usually do something to demonstrate their worth. Psalm 96, 8 says it this way. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So that's what we're doing as people when we live our life out in the presence of God as worshipers and under his authority and under his glory, seeking to glorify him with our lives. We are ascribing to God. You are worthy of everything I'm sacrificing, everything I'm giving, everything I'm seeking to be each every time I deny myself. To yield to your will and your way, I am seeking to glorify you and reflect you in this world. So, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. So I'm offering not just money, but I'm offering myself, my whole being. I'm offering my mind, my emotions, my will. I'm offering my, my psychology. I'm, I'm offering my talents. I'm offering, offering my time. I'm offering my giftings, my spiritual gifts. I am just a vessel for his use. I'm here for the glory of God. I'm here simply to live as a person who when you see me, you can't help but see that must be something worthy about God because I see it in him. He's constantly adoring and living in light of the presence of God. I want to be that. I'm not perfect. I don't make it all the time. Do you? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> just, just nod, say amen. If it hurts, say ouch. 
come into his courts. So make an offering when you come into his courts, an attitude of worship. This passage suggests that those who value God are the ones bringing the offering. So it's, it's, a, it's a value system of my life. Now, the biblical words, the words used in the Bible for worship revealed the meaning of worship. In the Old Testament words, there were two main Hebrew words. It's um, shaka'ah, which means to bow down or prostrate, and abodah, which means to serve a superior. So we're submitting ourselves to our king, and we're offering ourselves in such a way that we're just his servants. We worship you, we adore you, we do your bidding. Uh, notice how in, in England, when, 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 the, when the guys were the servants, they say, uh, your lordship, as you would say, your lordship. Well, you know, they do that for a human king. How much more should we do it for our eternal king? In the New Testament words, there are two main Greek words, prokunio, which means to come forward to kiss the hand. As an act of adoration. I love the Lord because he heard my cry and delivered me from all my fears. We love him because he first loved us. And a proper response to that love is worship. And the second word is liaturgia, which means to serve. So your acts of services are acts of worship. So throughout the day when you're serving your children to honor the Lord and glorify and model for them what it means to be the next generation of worshipers is, and you serve them as unto the Lord, it is an act of service. When you go to work and do your job to provide for your family so you won't, won't be an infidel, the Bible says, he who won't work and provide for his family is basically an infidel. And you do it as unto the Lord. is an act of worship unto the Lord, a service unto the Lord. Work, hard work, sweat is a good thing. It's part of the curse, but it's, it's a good thing. So, so he goes on to say, this is all um, Mark. I'm going to say Mark because I have a hard time with his first name, last name. <laughs> Notice that the worship has a dual aspect, an attitude of the heart. See, it's, an, it's, it's, it's a heart and mindset. It's a determination of me. It's a determination of you. It's, it's, it's a way that we want to respond to God as individuals who have encountered the God of the universe. It means something to think about the God of the creation, the God who has all power in his hand, has come and revealed himself unto me personally, unto you personally. He indwells us personally. He is worth our attention. He's worth our commitments. He's worth our adoration. He's worth everything that we give him. So it requires part and attitude that says, yeah, you're worthy. Then 
it requires actions of service. It has to be reflected. And that's part of the problem with these folks here in Haggai's day. They should have been showing acts of service. The temple, the place of worship, it's in shambles. Man, we have a priority. Let's get that back up so that we can go and glorify God until the world can see that there's a God who we serve that's real and has all power, who has delivered us. And, well, we're going to find out uh, that wasn't so much on their mind. So the definition worship represents, presents, uh, according to Raph Martin, I can say Martin, shows the two aspects. Worship is the dramatic celebration of God in his supreme worth in such a manner that his worthiness becomes the norm, inspiration of human living. You follow that? An attitude of worship, it becomes the norm because it declares such a supreme worth to God, and that's how we respond. So in Isaiah 6, <laughs> Isaiah said, I, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It's in encountering God and recognizing he's God, and then it's giving a right response. He said, whoa, unto me, I'm a man undone. It's constantly bringing us before him to recognize you are God, we are not. You are infinite, we are finite. You are perfect and holy. Holy is your name. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we are sinful. And so we're constantly acknowledging our sinfulness and we're confessing our sin and our constant dependency upon God day by day, moment by moment. We enter into worship before him, thanking him for his forgiveness based on Jesus Christ and the cross alone and because of that we worship him all the more and because of that we offer ourselves to him and so he says who will go for us who will demonstrate this on a daily basis who will commit themselves to seeking my face and saying kind words when other people are being rude who will accept people when other people are counseling people who will model that you don't rail for rail you, you forgive your wife when she makes a mistake, or your husband. More likely, your husband, he's going to want to be, if it's like me, it's, it's probably going to be him. <laughs> and he says, who will go for us? And he says, here am I. Send me. That's the attitude. That's the action. That's the response in worship. So, you respond to the presence of God in your life. You seek intimacy with him. You desire to know him. And as you humbly go before him in reverence, acknowledging he's worthy, you unlock the door to enter into his presence and seek him. And he meets us there in a way that's unexplainable, that's mysterious, and somewhat, I would even you almost say magical. He encounters our soul and fills our being, and we know that we are fully satisfied and filled up and we are meeting all requirements of the purpose we were created for because the God of the universe is encountering us and we're encountering him and we can do that anytime we want to. That's good news. That's gospel. He said that word earlier. That's gospel. The world needs that. 
But the world needs to see that. And the only place it can see that is in the church. And churches, I'm not talking about buildings or denominations. I'm talking about the true church, the invisible church, those who have really given their hearts to Jesus Christ. Those who know he's resurrected from the dead, those who have believed with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength that he is God, God Almighty, and God alone. And there is no other hope for mankind. There is no other name given unto heaven whereby we must be saved. He is risen with all authority and power, and he's coming back to establish his kingdom. And when he comes, He's not going to come as a humble servant, broken and bruised and, and nailed to a cross, but he's going to come as king of kings and lord of lords. And I love he's going to be coming on a, on a winged horse. I just I love that white horse with wings. He's going to come riding on it. And the scripture says he's going to have a name slapped to his side that no one else can wear, king of kings and lord of lords. Is that worthy of worship? Don't you want to be on that side when that day comes? Don't you want to be represented as, you know what? When it looked bad, when others didn't know, and people doubted, and the world was talking crazy, I was believing. I was worshiping. I was faithful. I was in church on Sunday. I didn't have no excuses. Oh, well, I'm, no, I shouldn't preach that. <laughs> so let me give you my quick definition trying to simplify it. Kids, you follow me? You follow me? Making sense? Well, not if you do. If you can't, we'll talk about it later. Here's my definition that I got from all this, putting it together. I just tried to put it, and if you want to write it down, you can, and maybe, I, I don't know if it's being recorded, um, but from, from me, this is James Williams' version. Be, try to be patient with, you know, this guy here. Uh, it, it's, it's, just, it's just a human being here doing this, right? Worship is the mindset, attitude, and a state of being to meditate on and adore God for the beauty of his holiness, for who he is, for what he has done, and how his worth is beyond compare. To anyone and anything. It requires total submission and abandonment of ourselves to serve his person, his will, and his ways. It is expressed through inward and outward praise, declaration, and adoration. Of his worth. His worthiness. You know, this sermon is going to be a little longer than I thought. So we're going to have to do part one. Y'all going to have to postpone and get me back for part two. So I'll set you up for that. I did. So who, whom do we worship? You say, well, that's an obvious question. We worship God. It's not so obvious to a lot of people. It's not so obvious. A lot of people worship a lot of different kinds of religions and a lot of different kind of ideas. But let me suggest to you who we worship. 
This is the other issue I wanted to address before we got in the passage. Whom do we worship? In Hebrews chapter 1, I'm using the NIV translation because it just seems, just for me, it just speaks a little more plainer. I know about the ESV and all that stuff, but <laughs> um, but I used this for 20 years, so it's, just, it's coming easy. Y'all, y'all, again, y'all be patient with me, okay? Hebrews 1, verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the exact reputation of his being. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, referring to God the Father, in heaven. So, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then skipping to verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him, referring to Jesus, his son. Verse 7, and speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Now, this is what he's doing this contrast here. He's saying when God talks about the angels, this is how he talked about them. He said he, the angels are spirits and, and his servants of flames of fire. This, this is what God referred to the angels as. But he never refers to them in this way by contrast. But about the son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the one and only begotten. But about the son, he says, your throne, oh God. Your throne, God the Father says, your throne, oh God, will last forever and ever. A scepter, a scepter of justice. That means he has the right to bring judgment and wrath. You're, you can't bring judgment and wrath if you're not God. And will and, 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 and we'll be the scepter of of your kingdom. He has a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. That's why you need a relationship with him. If you don't know Jesus, it's time to get to know Jesus. And then you can begin to worship him. You can only worship him. The Lord looks for those to worship him in spirit and truth. True worshipers is what he looks for. It's who he looks for. And how do you become a true believer? Simply admitting that you're not a believer, admitting that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, And accept the full finished work of what he did on the cross alone for you. Jesus did that. Did it either accomplish salvation or it didn't? I'm telling you it did. Have you tried it? Try it out for yourself. Jesus paid for your sin deal in full on the cross. And he says, I offer it to you as a free gift. Now receive it. How do you receive it? Ask for it. That's a humble admission. That's a repentance from myself. That's an acknowledgement. Bowing down before, I am here to offer myself to you 
please come into my life is your prayer. Lord Jesus, I want eternal life is your prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins is your prayer, if that's you. So we worship the one and true God. The only one and true God, Jesus Christ. You say, well, wouldn't God be offended if I say Jesus is the one and true God? Well, according to the Westminster Confession, the only people we worship, quote unquote, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one essence, one being. So when I say I worship the God, Jesus Christ, God the Father is not jealous because he knows when I say I worship him, the God, the Jesus Christ, I'm worshiping God the Father at the same time. And I'm worshiping God the Holy Spirit at the same time. And when I say I'm worshiping God the Holy Spirit, guess what? God the Father and God the Son is not jealous because he knows I'm saying the same thing. I'm worshiping God the Father and God, God the Jesus Christ when I say I'm worshiping God the Holy Spirit. And when I say I'm worshiping God the Father, I am saying I'm worshiping God the Son and God the Holy Spirit at the same time. Most of the world gets it confused because they like to talk about God, but they're talking about a God, a God that they have in their vain imaginations, which the commandments tell us don't do a graven images and come up with our imaginations of who God is. And they all have these false ideas of who God is. So I say we must worship the God Jesus Christ. And him only. He's the only one who can deliver and bring hope and salvation to this world. God is not a tyrannical God. He's a God of love. But when you look at a God that's happening in the Middle East right now, you would get the impression that he's a God that hangs people. And he abuses children and women. That's not God, but pure evil. Don't get it twisted. We don't worship at that throne. We worship at the one and only throne of Jesus Christ. He's not a philosophy or a way of life. Well, I just do this because, well, you know, I'm just a moralist. You know, a lot of people trying to, they do, they try to do a lot of virtual signaling and moral high ground. That don't mean nothing. (laughs) Comes from nothing and is nothing. He's not a mystical, out-of-the-body experience, as some would say. (laughs) I heard people talk about, I went to a spaceship and I, I was floating in outer space, and, and I am, you know, part of the new age, whatever that is. So you got to eat some kind of turnips or something. I don't know. He's not the brother of Satan, as the Mormons would have you believe. We don't worship Satan. We worship God Almighty. He is not an idol on a totem pole. In the back regions of some forsaken land. He's the one true and living God. The creator of all the billions of galaxies in the deepest reaches of outer space. He is the divine architect of the entire universe. This is who we worship. We worship the creator, God Almighty, our Savior, and Lord, and bless his name.
the only hope, the only answer for our world. So, I've run out of time. So the next time we're going to look at Haggai and the three things Israel turned away from in their worship, what they learned about their worship. What I was going to talk about, and I'll talk about next time, I'll give you a preview, and you guys talk, you, you could twist Kevin's arm and get, get him, say he's got to still recover, so maybe I'll come back next week, you know. He ain't fully recovered, you know. <laughs> But we're going to talk about their rebellion, their repentance, their restoration. Just to give you a picture of it, let me read it, and then we'll, we'll stop here. I'll just read the passage. I think it will speak loud. I know this is not Presbyterian protocol. <laughs> I know it's not. In the second year of Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, this is Haggai 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came through the prophet by the hand of, through the prophet, but this is God speaking, Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shittiel, the governor. So he's talking to the civil authorities. He's talking to the entire nation. And to Joshua, son of Zohadet, the high priest, he's talking to all the Christians in this entire nation. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And when I look at America, and I see all the problems, and when you find out that the Barner Group says that, that one out of four Americans say they are a practicing Christian. And years ago, no matter what kind of problems we had, we've had, we've had depressions and up and down and civil rights movement and civil wars and slavery and all this stuff, but we always had a priority of worship, 70%, 75%. And you could really say that God was blessing America. And right now, I'll be honest, I don't see or feel like God is blessing America when I see everything going on. Do you? And there's a reason. Because these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. We don't have time for God. We don't have time for worship. He's not a priority for us. He can't even speak to us. We don't need his counsel. We don't need his wisdom. And when the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, your luxurious homes? You're going up to Lebanon, you're bringing down all this wood, and you're spending hours and hours splitting it and getting it right and putting it in sheets and building high wood ceilings and putting it on your walls, and, and you got all this luxury for your house, but my house lies in ruin. And it's a reflection of what's happening to you on the inside. Your inward house is in ruin, and it's reflected of what you're doing on the outside. You're, you're prioritizing materialism and worldliness, and you're not prioritizing worshiping me and intimacy with me. You're like the lady in Vegetale. 
She went to the stuff mart and she said, I'm so blue. Because she had so much stuff, she didn't know what to do. And she had so much stuff out the wall, it was like she didn't have anything. She had everything, so it didn't have anything because she couldn't enjoy it all. But God says this. So now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Set your heart on your ways. Think about what you're doing. And Lamentation says, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. We lift our hearts. Excuse me. Oh, wow. What happened? (laughs) We lift our hearts. We lift our hearts. I'm sorry, that messed me up. We lifted our here in our hands, our hearts in our hands toward God in heaven. Verse 6, he says, you have planted much, but harvested little. Does that sound familiar? You eat, but never have enough. That means people were spending money. And even at that time, he was letting mold and stuff eat up their food just Somehow the crops wasn't working out. The bugs were eating it up. The, the maggots getting in it. You drink but never have your fill. There's a drought. There's not enough to drink. There's not enough to go around. You put on clothes, but <laughs> you're not warm. Uh, <laughs> you can't buy adequate clothes. They, they're getting raggedy. Moths are eating them up. You earn wages. Boy, this really sounds familiar. Only to put them in purses with holes in it. <laughs> Can anybody relate? Seems like that's exactly what our economy is happening and our government is doing. The more money we spend, the more <laughs> less money we have. The more debt we have. Oh, my God. Maybe we ought to stop and just drop it and say, you know what? Maybe we just need to call a national fast and focus. Let's have a wor- one big united worship service. <laughs> Proverbs 19.3 says, The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. The foolishness of man ruins his way. So the worship of God must be a priority. God has commanded it. If you read it in Exodus, you'll see that he commanded us to have no other gods before him. It's important for our children. He says, I will show compassion to the last generation, for those who love me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It is a reflection of what you're really saying about God when you have no legitimate excuse for being in worship. Of course, COVID is a legitimate excuse, so we can, we can Zoom to worship. But he called for repentance. This is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways, go up in the mountains and bring down Timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be very little. This is why you need to do it. What you bought home, I blew away, even when you think you're prospering. So is it really succeeding? Is it really helping you by prioritizing yourself over myself? Is it really going to prosper you and give you good success? The Lord Almighty says, because of my house, which is in ruins. So 
literally in the Hebrew it says this. And this is the last thing I know. I, I'm definitely I'm not I'm definitely not Presbyterian now. <laughs> this is the last thing he says. Well, the last couple of things he says. He says my house is in Horeb, a waste. He says therefore your house is going to be in Horeb, a drought. It's a poetic rhyme there. You don't see it, but it's in the Hebrew. And I like to say it this way. God was the original rapper. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're busy with your own house. Therefore, because of your of you, the heavens will have withheld the dew and the earth is its crops. And I call for drought on, on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the olives and everything. In in olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on the labor of your hands. And so finally, verse 12, he says, be, um, excuse me, be restored. He called them to repentance and he tells them now be restored. And this is the second time he's preaching. He says, then Zerubbabel, son of Shittiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord. To the people. I am if there's any cure for anything going on with you and your wife and your family, it is the presence of God. If there's any hope for America right now, it is a return to seeking God with his presence when it comes to worship and prayer and seeking him with all our heart. And recognizing him as the one true God. One of the things that constrained me to speak this message, I heard on the news one of the ladies from Afghanistan, and she had become a successful lady there, and she was dreading the Taliban coming. And she was talking about she was a little girl, and she remembered how they were. And then for 19 years, she thought, it's, this is over and this is gone. This is it's a new day. Now, overnight, all of that hope is gone. And she said, I never felt so helpless in my life. And I've never felt so hopeless. If we as Christians have no priority of worship, true worship, and seeking God, how will the world see and know the reality of that love? We are here to create new worshipers of God. And I'm praying for a revival to come to Afghanistan. And I heard yesterday about a preacher who's there in Afghanistan. He's not hiding. He's on Zoom. He says, I'm not afraid. We need to figure out a strategy for how we're going to advance the kingdom right now. And he knows his life is in danger. That's a worshiper. 
Lord, make me that way. True worship leads to revelation, God unveiling himself to us, restoration in our hearts, and rest and peace, peace of mind and healing and salvation and hope, hope that lasts through all eternity. Wow. So I think I messed around and preached it anyway, huh? Thank you, guys. Bless the Lord. But if you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus as we pray and close, you've never trusted him, this is a time for you to say, I don't know how to worship. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's good. That's good. Nicodemus had been in church, and he came to Jesus by night. He says, we know you're a teacher sent from God, but <laughs> uh, nobody does what you do. And Jesus told him, you must be born again. It must come from above. You must receive God's spirit. It must be something different that happens. It comes from God, not from yourself. It's not a, a self-effort. It is a, of, of making yourself available to God so God can show you his grace and his mercy. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, you can't say 100%, I know if I died right now, I'm going to heaven. Here's the prayer you need to pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me for all my sins. I turn from my way of thinking and my way of doing things and I want to trust you for the reality of your life if your love is real for me and I want to believe it is please come into my heart please make me the person you want me to be if that's a prayer that means a lot to you pray it with me now while all are praying together here Lord Jesus I need you come into my heart make me the person you want me to be. Please forgive me for all my sins. I want to know you. And I want to know that I will spend eternity with you. Lord Jesus. Amen. Lord, bless us to be true worshipers. In the power of your name.